Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Well, hello and welcome to the first ever Alan Myers Everton podcast. Uh, My name is Alan Myers, would you believe? And I'll be bringing you uh, Everton-based show on a regular basis with all the interviews, debate and news and information focusing on the club that we love. Uh, We have a special show to open as well. Coming up, we'll be in conversation with Everton and England defender Michael Keane. Uh, who talks about his new nickname, Big Mick Keen. Uh, and uh, he enjoys that one, I believe. Uh, Yakubu will be talking <laughs> Cenk Tosin and strikers. And uh, we'll hear from former central defender Alan Stubbs as well as we look back at the season just ended. We'll hear from you, the fans, and Everton's Director of Communications, Richie Kenyon, who will tell us all about the preparations for the second phase of consultation for Bramley Moor Dock and the People's Project. It's a busy hour or so ahead. So let's get on with it. And uh, to kick us off, I'm delighted to welcome Liverpool Echo's sports editor, Dave Prentice, and uh, Sam Carroll from the Echo as well. Welcome, boys. And uh, let's, let's get started straight away and let's talk about last season. The season just ended. If you were to sum up in one word, what would it be? Oh, wow. Uh, no, that's not the word. Um, <laughs> progressive, I would say, in one word, because it, it's been... Ups, there's been downs, quite significant downs in January and February, but then it finished on a bit of a high, you know, so some real momentum was starting to develop. Uh, I mean, without going back and reviewing the whole season, up until the Anfield derby, we saw signs of what we wanted to see. We were seeing the Everson team playing football in the right fashion. Uh, We were seeing the Everson team being ambitious and being bold. Uh, We saw proper Everson footballers. I'm talking the likes of Andre Gomez, Bernard. Uh, Gilpy Sigurdsson, you know, so footballers with a bit of class, bit of elegance about them. We were really enjoying it. The character of the uh, players, you could question because after that Anfield derby defeat, crushing though it was, they seemed to lose their weight quite significantly. And that was a worry, you know, there, there was a wobble, significant wobble for a couple of months, culminating in that dreadful, dreadful day in East London, uh, the Millwall defeat. That was, that was off. That was clearly the low point of the season. But from there, they kicked in, they dug in, uh, they went in the right direction again. And we saw some really big wins, you know, United, Chelsea, Arsenal. Of course, the game that cost Liverpool a title at Goodison Park. Uh, it, it was good. It was, uh, it was positive stuff. So that's why I used the word progressive, because, you know, we ended the season heading in the right direction with a bit of momentum and hopefully given a platform for something to build on this summer. Sam, what's your word? Probably hopeful, I think, for the first time since... I mean, obviously, the, the, the end of the first Ronald Koeman campaign wasn't wasn't that long ago. But, you know, for everything that we've been through as supporters, as a club, as players, it it seems like absolutely years ago, doesn't it? To think this time last year was the day Sam Allardyce uh, got sacked. You know, that, that, that seems like ages and ages ago to me. But I think now, you know, we've got different things in place. We've got Marcel Brands in place. I think both Marcel and Marco are keen to build on a project here. You know, and it's it's exciting times, really. You know, as, as Dave points out, a good end to the season. You know, it, you did start thinking, can we come back from this Millwall defeat? I remember me and Phil 
coming out that ground and, you know, we were just kind of sat in the taxi just in silence because there was nothing you could say about it. You know, three set-piece goals to lose to a club that finished one place above the relegation zone. The championship was embarrassing. It wasn't good enough for, for, for any Everton team uh, throughout history. But, you know, we've came back, we've got our siren and I'm feeling hopeful <laughs> for, the, uh, for, for next season. You know, I think we all know that it's going to be probably another pretty decent summer in terms of incomings and outgoings. It'll be interesting to see what kind of magic uh, Marcel and Marco uh, can bring once again after how well they done last summer. Obviously, there's big question marks over Zuma and Gomez, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a hopeful Evertonian right now. I think that's the sense as well, isn't it, around at the moment that people have seen enough from that season uh, to feel that there's certainly something to look forward to. I, my word would be steady. I think it's a steady season. I think, it, as, you, as you alluded to, David, it has its ups and downs. And, and you know, there were, the downs were really down. Um, some of the ups were really up. Um, and who, who would have thought that, you know, we didn't need to buy players. We, we could have done it all with a siren. But, um, <laughs> but let, let's hear from Alan Stubbs because he, he talks in particular about that particular period over the sort of December, January. I think there was a... Probably, you know, they, they, they conceded probably too many goals from set pieces, you know, I think during that period. Um, and, and I think there was maybe, looking at the team, there was a, a hit of a confidence issue. I think a couple of results seemed to, to knock them. I think the derby was a, was a, was a big game in, in talking about that. Um, you know, even though it shouldn't have lasted that long, the hangover for it. You know, it certainly seemed to to really, you know, take the stuffing out of out of not just the players but but the fans at the time. Um, and then, you know, we've 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 had, we've basically been like a little bit of like a bookcase. You know, we've been in in, in between um, a good start and, and a good finish. And um, I think with with a really good summer and some 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 real, I think eye catching signings, I can see Everton. You know. Being a, a lot stronger, you know, I I don't really, in my opinion, see Everton pushing a top five, four place just yet. But what about the uh, what about the centre half positions? Because it's changed a few times. We've seen Michael Keane come on, I think, this season, yeah. and he established a great partnership with Zuma, didn't he? Do you think that was the best partnership of the season? Well, it was the one that was that was probably paired together the most. I think the manager obviously preferred that. You know, look looking. Looking at the games, um, obviously Michael Keane had a, had a couple of injuries throughout the season, which which affects that. And as as a as a, as a partnership, the one thing you want is um, as a centre back is consistency and, and a good run of games. And I think at times that was disrupted. And but I must I must admit, if they can get, I think Zuma, if they can manage to do that deal, um, I think it would be good business. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with Jags. If Jags doesn't hear, then I still think you need another centre-back. As we heard there, Alan was talking about that period in in the sort of winter. What do you think, and, and the way they got over that eventually, uh, and as he alluded to there, it's, it was too long. What do you think it, it it tells us about these players, or does it tell us about this, the, the, where the club is mentally as far as the manager and the team? It's a double-edged sword, that one, really, because I think what... what We've said a few times, you know, in here is that that period indicates that there aren't any real absolute leaders um, in that squad. You know, there are players that have worn the armband, a lot of them, you know, so and that indicates that maybe there isn't, you know, so 
the qualities of leadership we need at the football club that the armband seems to be revolved around so many people and a, a kid as young as Tom Davis is being asked to wear it on occasion. Um, in situations when times are bad, you need the real strong characters uh, to stand up. And I think it's it's unfortunate that Everton's, you know, probably the best captain we've got at the football club is Phil Jagielka. He is the club captain, but he's not been the team captain because he's not been on the pitch uh, as often. And, you know, I don't want to demean, you know, so the likes of Seamus Coleman or, you know, so Tom Davis, who've, who've had the Yarman because they've done a decent enough job, but they're not natural leaders. You feel it's like something that they're having to embrace and they're having to do, you know, so almost by proxy because there's nobody else there that is doing it naturally. You think of the very best Everson teams and they've always had a strong spine down the middle of leaders. We were talking the 25th anniversary only a week or so ago of that Wimbledon game in 94. Okay, that wasn't a great Everson team, although they won the FA Cup the following year. And uh, Diamond, who was talking about it, was saying, you look at how strong that squad was. You had leaders in the team. You had Dave Watson, who was the captain. You had Barry Horn. You had Neville Southall. You know, you had strong characters all the way through it. And I'm not quite sure that the people at the club at the moment are quite that strong character-wise. Whether that's something that will be addressed in the summer, I don't know. Whether it's something that, you know, so Marco Silva believes has been, you know, changed since then. And, you know, performances at the end of the season prove that is the case. I don't know. But you only find out really, you know, so who the strong characters are at a club when things are going wrong. And back then, it took far too long, as Stubbsy says, you know, so for it to recover. Um, so, you know, we'll see. We'll see during the summer, you know, whether he thinks there's, you know, more strength, more character is required in the squad. So, Sam, does that mean he has to go out and buy a captain? Does that mean he has to go out and buy a leader before a player? Or does that mean maybe that when he looks at the likes of Michael Keane, he will expect him to, to step up possibly or, or maybe even Gomez if, if we were to bring him in full time? Yes, I think the the idea of of these players kind of stepping into the into the fold and in, into a leadership kind of category is always quite romantic. But at the end of the day, some players just aren't like that. You know, Jags has skipped by distinction uh, for quite some time, but he isn't the kind of leader that Phil Neville is. You know, you don't see him ca- kind of constantly screaming at others. Good shot, on, he's, on, on he's a guy that's often underestimated. Phil Neville his impact on the football club. He does get a, a lot of flack because he was a mank, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but he's been a great captain for Everton during his time at the club. No, exactly, and, and I think that kind of always went under the radar. And I think, you know, that is the added thing for for Brands and Silver this summer. That, as Alan said, I think we probably do need to go out and, and sign a couple of players who, you know, really have got that that character. You know, as, as much as I hate to say, I was listening to the uh, to Peter Crouch's podcast the other day, and he was kind of saying when he first went into Liverpool training, Gerard fired the pass at him, and he miscontrolled, him, and Gerard was just absolutely fuming with him. You know, and yeah. you look across that Everton team. Is is there any of them players in there at the moment? No, probably not. You know, there's there's lads in there who are, you know, kind of senior players like your Pickfords and your Michael Keynes, but they're only 24, 25 years of age, you know, so they're still learning and still coming kind of into their own. You know, Richarlis and Yeri Mina, they don't have a great grasp of English, nor Bernard, you know, so they're still kind of learning the way uh, over here. So probably, yeah, I'd like to see one or two players kind of come in who who get it. You know, show a bit of passion, show a bit of leadership, show a bit of fight. Because at the end of the day, that is, you know, these games in the Premier League and the FA Cup, when you go to Millwall on a freezing cold January night, you know, you need players who can kind of control things and settle things down. You know, I remember Tim Cale kind of saying, you know, it's about knowing when to kind of maybe try and wind some up and it's about Mm -hmm. knowing when to get your head down and and kind of bring the fight to the other team. So I think that's definitely a a void that needs filling, Uh, which is quite strange to say, really, because I think when in the Cooman and Walsh summer when we kind of signed your Roonies and your Michael Keynes, you kind of thought of these as as leaders 
within the dressing room, but it does seem at the moment like a little bit of a void and, and something that needs addressing. Looking at that bad time, and we'll, we'll move on from last season in a moment, but just looking at that bad period uh, around the sort of winter time, I think the manager might have learned an awful lot at that time. You know, I, I don't think it could get much lower for him at the time. Certainly after you mentioned the, the Millwall game, I think we all felt, I remember yeah. sitting at home that night and, and, and just being, you know, sort of lost for words, as you said, you know, yeah. getting in the taxi, you know, and, and, and you just wondered. And I think it was the only time this season that I've really thought and doubted maybe, you know, is this right? You know, and um, but what do you think he will have learned from that period, Marco? Uh, he'll, he'll have learned a lot about, like I mentioned before, you know, the, the character of the individuals in, in his squad. But equally, I think we as fans learned a lot about him uh, because he didn't panic. He, he showed quite a, a steely resolve throughout that period. If you remember, he was getting absolute pelters over the um, zonal marking situation, the fact that so many goals were being conceded from set pieces. And he refused uh, to change his principles at all. You know, we've asked him about it so many times. And uh, I've talked about it you know, previously about how he identified what went wrong in that Millwall game. And basically it was players not taking responsibility for their actions. And um, you know, individual players losing their individual battles on the day, not the actual fact that zonal marking was being used. It was actually a hybrid of zonal marking that they used for the, uh, the free kicks. Because we actually said, you know, about zonal marking, then he goes, well, what are you talking about? Corners or free kicks? I said, what's the difference? Because we use different uh, things, depending on where the, uh, the corner is. If it's a corner, you know, it, it's zonal. If it's a set piece just outside the box, higher up the pitch, we use a hybrid. And it, it was interesting, but he refused uh, to, to bend. He, he stuck to his principles. He kept on, you know, so sort of trying to drill these things into the players. And eventually, you know, so it turned out, you know, okay in the end. Uh, so whilst he will have learned a bit about players, certainly the ones who were losing those individual battles on those occasions, uh, I think we learned a bit about him as well. And, you know, he's not this uh, faint heart that goes missing, you know, when things wobble because things have wobbled in English football for him. You know, he's had good starts at Watford. He's had good starts at Hull and then things dipped. He had a good start at Everton, then things dipped, but he came back from it as well. So uh, he's learned about players, but we've learned a little bit about him as well. And I think he'll, he'll have learned about himself as well in, in that respect, and that, you know, there was that feeling, wasn't there? You know, this is all happening again. It happened at Hull, it happened at Watford, but he, he did stay by his principles, and hopefully that, that, that makes him a little bit more reassured and a little bit more positive going into next season, that the way we tried to play at your Arsenal's, at your Manchester United, you know, narrow defeats, the narrow defeat at Liverpool, which was arguably our performance of the season. Yeah. You know, a team that finished on 97 points and, and missed out on the title by one point. You know, I thought we were quite comfortably the better team for large portions of that game and, and whatever happened happened at the end. You know, we, we got the draw at Chelsea. But, you know, hopefully Marco continues because, you know, that, that is the big duck we have to break next season and, and, and start winning these away games, the top six. Okay, well, let's move it forward. As I say, um, I'm looking at, I mean, officially, as we record this, um, the transfer window opened. Indeed. Um, and, of course, you know, at Everton, every summer is is, is a big one. It's, it's an exciting one. It's, it keeps us busy, in particular me. Um, but uh, you know, the, the perennial question, it seems, for the last sort of few years has been, will we sign a striker? Okay. Um, we've been speaking to, I've been speaking to Yakubu over the last couple of days. And um, he, he, tells, he tells me uh, that he... he there's already someone at the club he believes should be given a chance. Yeah, you know, you, they need they need a couple of players now, you know, to support uh, 
Richardson, you know, he's doing good in scoring goals and uh, if you don't score with a little bit of uh, pressure, you know, but you have to give these guys a little bit of to time, a little bit of time to get used to the Premier League. It's not going to be easy, but hopefully next season going to be more better with these boys because they're getting used to the way the manager wanted to play and uh, the way they play in the Premier League is more physical, you know, but hopefully next year will be more better than uh, this and this season. People have said they need a striker. They need a striker. Is that what you see here? Of course, they do need a striker. You know, to support uh, Richardson. You know, and uh, Tosin is doing good. He's getting coming up from the bench and uh, to play. And uh, in his time, coming from uh, Turkey to play in the Premier League is so difficult. You know, physical. But we have to give him a time to adapt. And uh, hopefully next season he will get better. As you heard there, um, Yakub is saying that Tosin, you know, coming in from Turkey, it was always going to be difficult. And he talks about getting support for Richarlison. Do you think that's what Marco has to do and what Marcel Brands have to do when they start looking to maybe bring in a striker? Because I think everybody agrees we need one. We, we do. Uh, I think, unfortunately, Yakubu is uh, just, you know, staying true to the centre-forward union there and sticking up for uh, for Cenk. Cenk Tosin is a decent striker in a particular type of football team playing a, diff- a particular type of football. Sam Allardyce bought him because he wanted to get crosses into the box and he wanted an old-fashioned centre-forward, if you like, who was like so quite decent on the end of those kind of crosses. Marco Silva hasn't. He- he's got you know a-, a front three that plays in a very different way and he needs a much more mobile, uh, athletic centre-forward, which is what Dominic Calvert-Lewin has been doing. Now... It's whether you uh, stick with Dominic Calvert-Lewin and think that he can progress and become the centre-forward that Evertonians want him to be. And Marcel Brands has spoken quite positively about him. They do see a lot of potential there. Or it's, you know, whether you twist and think that, you know, so Everton, if they're going to genuinely aim for the top five or top six, they need an established striker who's already doing it. You know, Antoine Griezmann's available. You know, obviously, you know, they're not going to be in for an £80 million striker. You wouldn't have thought... But somebody of that ilk, you know, so the, that is mobile, that can, that can press, that can interchange positions and things, and has got athleticism. Cenk Tosin doesn't do that. You know, he, he's a centre forward who can finish. He's a, you know, he's not a slouch, but, you know, I mean, that, that touch and the bit of pace he showed against Crystal Palace last season, the Goodison took it all by surprise. We weren't expecting a finish quite as good as that. Um, but he's not really ideally suited uh, to Marco Silva's system which is why I think Yak's being a little bit kind to him there. I don't think he's really, you know, so quite the answer to what we're looking for. Well, you've mentioned Dominic Calvert-Lewin there. We spoke again, as I say, to Alan Stubbs, who talks a little bit about whether or not Calvert-Lewin is the answer for Everton. Well, we have become a little bit like Arsenal in the last in the last year or 18 months where, you know, we've always said that they needed a striker. You know, we've we've been like that for 18 months. Everybody known that we needed a striker. Tosin, to be fair, has not really done it. Yeah. Um, I think Calvert-Lewin's grew into that position better as the season's gone on. Um, I've got to be really answering, and I don't want to be too harsh. Do I, do I think he's the answer? Not necessarily. Um, to where Everton want, want to go. Uh, if the manager is going to play in that, in that style with one up front, then it's a very difficult role for a young player to play. And, and I think we need... You know, I, I think we need a, a real eye-catching sign up there to lead the line. Is that the only position, do you think, or do you think midfield? I mean, obviously Gomez will be crucial. Yeah, you know, there's there's obviously talk about him potentially going to Tottenham. Um, if that's the case, th- that would be a, a blow because I think he's 
he's he's done well enough and there's there's been signs of of him being a potentially really good player. You know, I always think if someone does well in the first year, it's a good sign because it's a very difficult league to to do well in your first year and to adjust. Um, I, I think we need, if, if looking at it, I think we need a centre back potentially. I think we need a midfield player. There's obviously question marks over over Adrissa Gay, uh, whether we can keep hold of him. Uh, and I think we, I think we need a wide player and a striker. So Sam, um, we just heard from Alan there. Um, he's unsure about Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, I think we saw in the Arsenal game, I think, didn't we, in particular, what a fantastic support, uh, a performance that was by um, Dominic. And, and he, he ran the two centre-halves ragged that day, I think. Is he something that we can pin all our hopes on or is it something, you know, is he, is he the player who we're going to have to uh, support and bring in another striker to play alongside him, do you think? I think the, the juxtaposition of, of Calvert-Lewin is that, you know, when you think about his best performances, you think Manchester City away towards the, the beginning of the end for Ronald Koeman, the Arsenal game you've just mentioned, you know, a few other games this season, you know, against the top six, you know, Manchester United and Chelsea where we won. But you're talking about him in terms of he puts himself about and he, he hustles people and he harries them. So you kind of talk about his work rate and his strength and his, his willingness, you know, to get his socks dirty and put his body mm-hmm. on the line. But how many games do we kind of say... Dominic Calvert-Lewin was great there because he scored two goals or exactly. he scored three goals. Yeah. You know, he's, and he's a young lad. But that, at the end of the day, is what what, what people get paid for in, in the Premier League if you're a centre-forward to score goals. So that, that's going to be the big question that he has to answer. You know, no one doubts his commitment to Everton. No one doubts his, his qualities. I don't think I've ever seen a young lad be able to head the ball like that. In a, I mean, you have seen you. Your Graham Sharps and your Andy yeah. Grays and, 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 and people like that. But for me, I've never seen a young lad uh, with, with aerial prowess like that, uh, and, and he, he's hassled some of the, the best defenders that, that the Premier League's got to offer this season. But you know, if if we get into the kind of the latter half of next season, and he's still not scoring the goals, then you know Marco Silva and Marcel Brandt will obviously have to look elsewhere. I think we will probably sign a striker or someone who can play across the front three uh, this summer. So I, th- I think we need development from Calvert Lewin. You know. Obviously, Marco likes him and what he brings. And I mean, if if we keep playing him down the middle and Gilfie Sigurdsson scores 13, 15 goals a season and Richarlison does, then I suppose that's that's okay. But eventually for Dom and for himself as a, as a striker in the Premier League, he has to start scoring at least into double figures for us. And do you think they'll be working on it, Dave, in the summer when they come back? You know, is that one of the things they will look to people? Because it's... It, you know, Sam's mentioned it there, but a lot of the fans have said the same thing. A lot of the, the punters have said the yeah. same thing. You know what? You know he needs to score goals, doesn't he? You've seen definite signs of improvement in a lot of areas of his game. I mean, he's blessed with great pace already, so that didn't need improving. But his hold-up play has been excellent. You know, he really has started to hold the ball up well, and his aerial prowess—it's all—it reminds me an awful lot of the development that we saw in Graham Sharp. You know, when Andy Gray got his hands on him and started, uh, you know, teaching him how to leap early, just to you know, so sort of really disorientate defenders and you know, so sort of cause all kinds of issues. And he's doing that; he's doing it really well. Now you can add all those kind of things to a striker's armory. You can teach him certain parts of the game. 
but I don't think what you can teach a striker is finishing. That That is just instinctive. You're either a good finisher or you're not. And, you know, there are certain elements of it you can improve on. But, you know, that actual natural art of putting the ball in the net is something that, you know, the very best strikers just have. And he's had chances. You know, there have been opportunities in the last, you know, so four or five games I can think of where he could have done better. You know, so where he's hit the post with shots, you know, where he's, he's had opportunities to score. So are you ever going to improve that element of his game? I'm, I'm not so sure. Don't want to sound too hard on the lad because, you know, he clearly is a talent, you know, so with a lot of potential. But that part of your game is something that is just, you know, so unteachable, you know, so and it's why centre-forwards cost, you know, the biggest amounts of money, why they cost an absolute premium, because it's the hardest part of the game to actually, you know, sort of teach anybody. So what's on Marcel Brand's shopping list then? What, what, what you know, because obviously he will speak to Marco. Um, there'll be the discussion. Where do you think he's going I think definitely a, a right back. You know, I think Phil wrote this week that John Joe Kenny's kind of future is going to be discussed uh, with club officials, and maybe they will look to bring in another another right back. And you know, I think we revamped that left side this year, didn't we? We brought in Bernard and Lucas Dean, and look at the impact they've had, especially Bernard in, in the second half of the season, and, and, and Dean player of the season right the way through. Um, at the moment, I'd say also a striker, and then you kind of see what happens with with Zuma and Gomez, but potentially, you know, you could need another centre-back, another midfield. Uh, the the Woody, the biggest Woody, transfer-wise for me, is probably if you don't sign Gomez, uh, if PSG came back for Gay, if Schneidlin pushed for a move, you know, you lose three central midfielders in, in one summer. That would leave us right now with potentially just Tom Davies and, you know, then your lone lads like Nikola Vlasic coming back and Joe Williams. So, you know, you don't really want to leave yourself with the pressure of having to scramble round and find two, three central midfielders good enough to kick Everton on and, and ultimately, you know, we want to improve next season and finish sixth, uh, at least seventh, you know, to show that kind of improvement. So, you know, it, it, if we do lose players and if, if, if we can't sign the, the loan lads, then, you know, you, you are looking at more than four or five players coming in and, and, and it's an expensive business. Yeah, and you, you don't want that massive upheaval in the squad again, do you? It's why Everton never signed players in January, you yeah. know, because there wasn't value. But equally, you don't want that suddenly three or four players all arriving at the same time and trying to assimilate themselves into and the that's squad. What, that's what was impressive about last summer, wasn't it? They identified the areas and, and they yeah. got it right. You know, you can't say, you know, the, the only question mark at the moment is over Mina, but I wouldn't say it's exactly panic station and that's because the jury's still out probably isn't it you well know, we, 100%, we can't make a decision yet. oh 100% you know it's not like it was last summer with Klassen where you're like you know as much as everyone liked Klassen and respected his professionalism you know I don't think you could genuinely say there's one Evertonian who thinks he was cut out for the Premier League Mina he's a big lad you know he's a strapping lad he's done it with Colombia in the World Cup Barcelona don't just sign players for no reason um you know, so so I'm still confident that Yeti will work out, but he is the only one who there is that jury out. You know, everyone else has been a massive success. And, and as Dave's saying, you don't want that five, six players again. You know, it would be nice to have the luxury of picking two or three spots in the team, improving them, seeing if there is maybe a loan of the calibre of a, a Gomez or Zuma around and, and going for them as well. And, you know, a pretty risk-free uh, transfer most of the time. So... Yeah, I think, I think you're going to have your work cut out again this summer, Alan, <laughs> and all of us here as well. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, Dave. Well, I walked into Blackburn Rovers a few years ago now, and one of the things I was presented with first was two, two pieces of paper. One with a squad of players who were not either at the club or were not playing in the yeah. team, and another that were playing in the team regularly. Um, the cost of the ones that were not playing and were not in the team was huge compared yeah. to the one that was playing. 
You know where I'm going with this. You know, yeah. there's a massive Fast job. Forward. There's yeah. a massive job, isn't there, for for Marcel um, Brands in particular. Yeah. Um, to clear, which I guess some fans disrespectfully call the Deadwood, yeah. but, but but players who are not required now. That's a biggest job, I think, is, it, as it is, is bringing it, players in. It is. It's what Farhad Mashiri identified, you know, so last summer, which is why, you know, the transfer strategy was as it was in January. You know, he just wants to see a lot of this, let's disrespectfully use the word Deadwood, uh, sort of moved on. And it's, it's very, very difficult to do. Uh, I mean... The story this morning, uh, we've seen transfer speculation around Yannick Bolassi. Uh, he was on, according to this story, 75 grand a week at Everton, um, which is why he's being farmed out on loans to a number of other places because he's not being used. And Everton will be having to fund a large proportion of that wage um, to wherever he's been playing, be it Aston Villa, be it Anderlecht. Um, 29 years old as well, you know, so... Twenty-five million pounds. I think he was bought for. They talk about willing to accept seven million pounds for him. That's how desperate the situation has got. Now, if it was only Yannick Balassi, that'd be disappointing. But it isn't. There's like another half a dozen players like that. Uh, Kevin Morales is another one who's on like sort of big money. Who's, who's still an Everton player. Uh, Nikola Vlasic. Who I, I quite like to be honest, but you know, it seems uh, you know maybe uh, th- there's no pigeonhole for him in the squad either you know to Henry Onyakuru's a guy who's had to go out on loan because he couldn't get a work permit there's just an awful lot of players on on big wages that it's going to be very very difficult to move on elsewhere if they haven't got you know a future at the football club so yeah you can't underestimate the size of the task ahead of Marcel Brands I'm just reassured that you know he does cut a very impressive figure you know he knows what he wants uh, he's quite rigid uh, in his thought processes and how he's going to do things um, and you'd, you'd back him to get it sorted out but it's not going to be a quick fix you know it's, it's going to take a few more transfer windows I think unfortunately and if, before these players can be moved on if you're Marco Silva because you don't want those players around you don't want players who are not going to be part of the squad no exactly and I think as Preno was just alluded to the, the only difficulty is is the kind of massive wages we gave some of these lads your, your Balassis and your Sandros and you know, as much as we, we'd like to cut this kind of romantic story that they'll go elsewhere to, to search first-team football, there's probably not many human beings out there who are willing to sacrifice their 75000 pounds Well, Sanzo's six figures, isn't it? Yeah, Exactly, you know, yeah. and Sanzo, a young lad, probably thinking, you know, he could just happily go out on loan for another couple of seasons and, and see out his Everton career kind of on those wages. And, you know, deep down, could anyone, could anyone really blame him? You know, we were the ones to to give him that contract. But, you know, it, it would definitely, we definitely, again, like last summer, you know, we got rid of Funes Mori and, and your Klassens and players like that. And I think, like what we were saying about bringing people in, that's probably going to have to be the way of the outgoings, you know, try and get rid of one or two again this summer, you know, Rooney's wages alone must have been a massive bonus last season, removing them from the, the wage budget. Can we do it again this summer with another couple of lads uh, going out and, and freeing up a little bit more room, you know, even then looking to like the likes of Phil Jagielka, if he leaves, you know, an extra little bit of wages available to us there. So as Dave says, you know, it's, it's not going to be an overnight fix. I don't think we'll be sitting around this table this time next year, kind of, and everything's rosy because it won't be. There's going to be more kind of bumps along the way and there's going to be more dramas because it's Everton and, and that's what we kind of <laughs> seemingly like to do every season. But, you know, you are confident, you know, in, in Marcel Brands and, Marco Silva and Marcel's just had such a big impact across the whole club you know me and Adam were down at the under 23s Premier League Cup win uh, last week and you know we were down it, by the changing rooms kind of waiting to speak to, to David Unsworth and 
Marcel was kind of in the changing rooms getting soaked in champagne, <laughs> you know, and he, he comes out with a big beaming smile on his face and, you know, he's involved in all aspects. I don't think Steve Walsh was getting off his sofa to go and watch too many under-23s games. So, you know, it's, it's promising times and, you know, maybe just there, there might even be a couple of young lads with, who, who people have got their eyes on to kind of at least train with the first team next season and, and try and make an impression. What's realistic for Everton next season, do you think? People are talking about top six. Is that realistic? Yes, I don't think there's any reason why it shouldn't be. Um, if you look at the way Everton finished the season, um, whenever we've had successful seasons in the past, and you sound like a bit of an old dinosaur saying this, but you know it was true. Howard managed to, 83-84, I know we won the FA Cup, but actually finished the season league-wise on like the last two months of upward momentum, which you can then carry on into the following season. Everton have done that, and a lot depends, admittedly, on Zuma and Gomez. You know, it's very, very important to try and keep hold of at least one of those players, certainly Gomez, and hopefully both, uh, but then building on that. But you look around, you know, the rest of the, uh, the Premier League and Manchester United, uh, just a basket case of a football club at the moment. Um, you know, they are certainly a club that we should be targeting, you know, so to try and reel in. Chelsea, they've been, they started brilliantly under Sarri, but, you know, so sort of fallen away a little bit. Um, you know, so they're, they're not vulnerable, but, you know, they're equally a club that you could possibly target. And then, you know, so Tottenham, are they going to spend this summer in the night of the Champions League final? Maybe they will. Uh, Arsenal, they've been okay under Emery. But, you know, again, to, you know, clubs that you can target, there's only the two, you know, the two at the top of the table that are just untouchable at the moment. They are, you know, absolutely by far and away the best teams in the division. But all the other teams around there are, are targetable as long as Everton can get some consistency. That's what we didn't have last season. And if we can somehow address that and, you know, think of all those. We were talking about the other day, the number of home games last season that we either drew or lost in that early part of the season. If you can just turn like two or three of them, you know, the West Ham defeat, the Newcastle draw, uh, you know, there were, so, there were so many like silly points dropped. Address that problem. Absolutely no reason why top six and Europa League, at the very least, shouldn't be attainable next season. But apart from that, I'm greedy. I want a cup run. Come on, let's have a decent <laughs> cup run for a change. Yeah, you're not wrong. And Sam, you know, bearing in mind what Dave says there, you know, about the other teams, is it also more about to 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 re, you know realize a prediction is it also all about believing that we can do it as well because it's one thing identifying teams that we think you know might and, and I totally agree with you Dave certainly on Manchester United it looks like unless they have some sort of miracle summer uh, it looks like they might start next season with the same sort of issues um, is it about Everton as a football club the fans the board the team the manager the players all believing that it can happen. I don't. I don't know if you can kind of put that kind of thing into the into the club as a whole. Because at the end of the day, you know, as much as you know, the fans need to get down, and, and as they've shown in the second half of the season, you know, the, the support goes a long way. You know, support and performances quite often since since I've been going the match and since like the beginning of the money's reign. You know, those best atmospheres have always brought out our our best results. Mm. That that obviously naturally goes hand in hand, but I think it's more just time to focus on ourselves. And, and I, I just think in the Premier League, momentum is a massive thing. You kind of look back to that glorious Leicester season that they had, you know, a couple of wins and, you know, what we're doing well here, a few more wins. Can we do it? You know, I think Everton just kind of, you know, ignore what's going on at Chelsea, ignore what's going on at Manchester United and Arsenal. Let's strengthen ourselves. Let's get in there next season and let's start well get a bit of momentum on the board. You know, it's something we haven't had in a long time, like a really consistent run at the beginning 
uh, of the season. Let's try and, and let's just try and kind of build something and, and, and let's just see how it goes. You know, I don't think it's going to be an overnight fix. I, I don't at this moment in time, as Alan Stubbs said, think we'll probably finish fifth or sixth next season. And that's not being negative. That's just being a realist because these teams like Chelsea and, and Manchester United and the Arsenal, uh, to rob Marco Silva's turn from this week, are probably going to attack the market just as much as we will and spend big money. It looks like there's going to be a real transfer many go round in terms of Real Madrid are going to look to buy and Barcelona are going to look to buy and that always has a knock-on effect onto the Premier League's best clubs. So I just want I just want to see us really kind of continue to progress, continue the positivity. And if we're sat here again next season kind of saying X and Y were great signings and we've got rid of two or three more and we're in a, a better place again, whether that's finishing eighth or seventh, then I firmly think in the next few years we can become what we were under Moyes and that's consistent European challenges and once you get that then you can always have that kind of season that we did where we finished fourth you could almost kind of start to dream of having if not the Leicester kind of season of, of winning league but really starting to to knock it with the big boys on a, on a consistent basis and that's all I'm hoping for well let's end on a positive note and uh, thanks very much Dave and thanks very much Sam for uh, you'll always be in the knowledge that you were my first and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm terrified <laughs> I'm not so sure how you'll take that away with you but uh, but thanks very much guys The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo well, there we are, the, the views of uh, Dave Prentice and Sam Carroll. But uh, I've also been speaking to some of the fans and let's hear what they think. Here's a Blue family, Carl, Steve and Paul Ryan from Birkenhead. Well, I think it's been quite promising after, obviously, the end of last season. Not many people were very happy. But, like, I think throughout the season, we obviously had our ups and downs, but towards the end of it, we showed a lot of signs that we could progress next season, I think. And Carl, you know, he took a lot of stick, didn't he, Silver, in the middle of the season? You know, it was it was a bit it was a bit difficult for everybody to to keep supporting the club at that point. You know, in the way of the way things were going on. I mean, what what do you think changed? Tough. The attitude, I think. The confidence once we got the the result in the derby, and I think you could just see the whole fans started to lift and started to get more positive with the team. And players started to play with a bit more belief in themselves because I think there was that little period between the two derbies. I think we started the season well, then we had a really poor middle bit over Christmas. And it just seemed to coincide with that, whether that was a, any reason for it. But as Stevens just said, it's looking promising, and it's, he does need the time to put his own stamp on it and maybe bring in another one or two and build on what we've now started because it's it is better than the season we've just had previous to that in my opinion and Paul your dad's saying there that you've got to bring one or two in is it more than one or two I'd say three or four yeah what are you looking at do you think um, striker obviously a couple of midfielders to bolster it up we definitely need a right back cover for Seamus and we need to make Zuma permanent I think is, it, is he more important than Gomez do you think yeah, I would say so because defence defence is, is what you, we need to bolster the defence up first of all stop conceding goals Gomez, you can get a, another player like him I think I think you can get another midfielder who can keep the ball and play it where the Zuma, he comes and wins everything he's a commander, I think he's a leader so I think he's more important OK, now to our main interview this week with uh, Everton defender Michael Keane 
I think you'll agree he's had a great season at centre-half. He and Kurt Zuma in particular have forged a terrific partnership. So how does he assess the season? How important is keeping hold of uh, Kurt Zuma? And what does he make of that nickname? Um, I think it's been very good personally. Um, I think it's been a lot better than last year. Um, gained a lot of confidence and sort of had that consistency in the game for most of the season. I think as a team we've had re- a few really good patches. Um, I think we started the season well. Um, we're finishing it really strong but we had a, a patch in the middle for two three months where we were pretty poor so um, that's what we need to cut out next year but I think all in all it's um, it's been a lot better than it, than it has been. You hinted at it then personally so much better season this season isn't it? What's changed in you? Have you just settled into the club? Yeah I think that's part of it settling into the club. I think the new manager's shown a lot of faith in me and, and put confidence in me. Um, uh, I think I suit his, his style of play. Um, I think we had a tough pre-season which um, did us the world of good. Um, so I, I felt fitter, I, f- I feel fitter, stronger than I did last year. Um, and then obviously starting the season well, it gives you confidence to, to carry that on. Um, then you just sort of build your confidence all through the year really. Playing for England is going to help. Um, so it's, it, like I say, it's been, a, it's been a great year for me, but I know I've still got a lot of learning to do and I, I can still improve. Um, you, you talked about the manager bringing that. Was your confidence low after last season because everybody was in that sort of down mood, weren't they? My confidence was low last season um, at points. Um, it wasn't in pre-season. Um, I, I've always had the belief in myself and what I can do. It's just sort of bringing the best out of yourself and, and getting it out of you. Um, it was more determination and wanting to sort of prove people wrong and, and show everyone what I can do. So that's what that's what drove me on, really. And you see that in performances. You see that, it, it, you know, and it, it's been difficult for you, I guess, because you've had changes of uh, partners right through the season. Yeah, I think um, we've not really had a consistent uh, centre-back pairing until the last... The last um, well, even not in the last month, so because Jags has come in and played a few. So um, you've had to, everyone's had to play with, with everyone, but... The, every centre half we've got here is, is top quality so we work with each other in training all the time and I think no matter who's, who comes in you feel confident that you can get a good result and, and a clean sheet I think at the minute me, me and Kurt are doing really well but at any given moment uh, one of the others could be in and, and do equally as well When I've spoken to players who've played for this club in the past they say you've got to understand the club you've got to, you've got to understand how you know the, the pressures of playing for this club is that something which clicked with you all of a sudden? Yeah, obviously you get to learn more about the history of the club and and how big the club is really. Um, the the size of the, of the fan base and the pressure that you get put under every game, um, but that's just due to the size of the club and it's it's what you it's where you want to be. Uh, you want to be under that pressure because it means you're fighting for something. It means you're playing for a, a top top club and the, there's no doubt here in anyone's mind that, that this is definitely that. Um, the manager he took a bit of stick in early in the season or you know sort of middle of the season how good has he been for you? Yeah he's been different class with me he's, um, like I said I think I suit the way he plays and um, he's made it very clear the way he wants to play to all the players and we all know our roles really well um, we never go into a game unsure of what we're doing in, in any given moment so I think that helps uh, having a clear mind and, and knowing what you need to do um, he's, he's a really nice guy as well easy to talk to and always there for advice and offering advice when he can Do you think the lads learned a lot from that dip you know because as you say the start of the season was really good the end of the season has been really good mm. do you think they learned a lot and did you learn a lot from that? I, I think we did yeah I think as a team um, can't really put a finger on, on what went wrong I think if you look at us now you sort of think where's this where's these performances coming from considering 
how we were a few months ago. But um, I think the main thing is to get m- most of the players playing with freedom and, and that confidence. And I think we have that now. Um, I think we had a lot of the team at that point struggling for confidence. And when that's the case, you're not going to get the, re- the results you results you want. So um, we, we've just got to try and cut that out next year. We know what we're capable of. We've sort of set our standards now. So uh, we need to try and kick on. And uh, tell us a little bit about Kurt, because you've got this great relationship with him on on, on off the pitch as well. Mm. Does he give you any whispers at all, whether he uh, is he staying here or not? He, he's not sure himself, to be honest with you, and I, and I do believe him when he says that. Um, he's he's been a, he's been a great person to have around. He's a great lad first and foremost, and um, he's obviously been top class on the pitch. And I've start, started to develop a, a good partnership with him. Um, if we can keep him, then great. Um, but if not, um, when there's, there's nothing we can do about it, I'm sure we're doing everything we can to, to keep hold of him. What's next, do you think? Where, where do you move on to now? Um, I, f- I think we've got to try and push into into the top six. I think that's was our aim this season. We've obviously we've we failed, and um, but I think we have the quality in our squad. Um, like I said before, if we can get that consistency and sort of grind out some more results when we're not playing well um, next year I think we can have a chance Do you want that pressure of new signings and, and, and sort of you want you want that challenge? Yeah I think it brings the best out in everyone um, I think having that competition um, pushes everyone to, to train the hardest every day to improve every day uh, I'm sure they'll be looking at improving the squad and, and bringing a few new names in so um, that can only help us and what about this nickname, Big Mick Keen, I believe? Uh, <laughs> are you going to embrace that? I'll embrace it, yeah. I'm not sure where it's come from, um, but I'll take it. It's, it's, it, could be, it could be worse, couldn't it? it? Is it nice to have a nickname from the fans? Because it, it does show that affection, doesn't it, I guess? Yeah, it does, yeah. Um, sort of, like you say, shows the affection, shows they appreciate you, really. Um, so I'll take it. Um, like I say, it's not that bad, and uh, if anything, it's quite funny. Um, and just finally, um, what was the toughest opposition player you've, you've met this season um, I think I think Harry Kane um, he's always difficult to play against he's big strong but he's got good movement as well and, and can finish on both feet I think obviously we had a difficult game against them at our place and uh, yeah he was tough that day and what about the opposition team which was the best team you think you've seen this season um, Man City um, I think good answer by the way yeah yeah um, <laughs> They dominated really at their place and came to our place. We we gave it a good go, put up a good fight, but ultimately they, they've got obviously so much quality, and um, I, I do think they are the best team. Yeah. Favorite teammate? Um, I've got a few. Um, at the, I'd have to say I've done the most probably off the pitch with with Theo. Um, we've we went on holiday together um, when we had a, a few, like three four days off with a few of our mates. Went playing golf in Portugal. Um, so yeah, quite close with Fiona. He only lives around the corner as well. Our most annoying teammate we were we were looking for. It's hard to pick one. Um, <laughs> nah, I think there isn't. I'm not going to name one specifically, but when they're in a group, and you've got John, Joe, Dom, Carvet, Lou, and Tom Davis. Um, they're like three twelve-year-olds, so they, they can't get in your nerves. But there seems to be a great camaraderie, doesn't there? Yeah, there is. Every, everyone's great lads. Such a good squad here. Um, Everyone gets on really well. All the new lads that have come in, the foreign lads, have, have settled in really well and learning the language. And um, it's definitely the best um, it's been since since I've been here. And um, it's it's a great place to come in to come into every day. Michael, it's been a pleasure. Um, your first interview on uh, on the podcast, so I yeah. appreciate it very no much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks a lot. Well, there we are, Michael Keane. There, what a top guy, and I can only see him going from strength to strength in the Everton side. And of course, the question remains on Kurt Zuma. 
I'm sure uh, Dave, Phil and the Echo lads will keep you right up to date on all the transfer news in the next few months. And of course, Sky Sports News uh, will be reporting on that. And Twitter is where you'll find me hopefully breaking transfer stories and answering that famous Everton question, is it done yet? Now, Everton announced last week that the second phase of consultation will begin on the Bramley Moor Dock project. It'll take place over July and August. The club is expected to update on the planning process, the Goodison Park legacy project, and we will also get to see the latest designs from architect Dan Meese. Excited? Well, I am. And to tell us a little bit more, I've been speaking to the Everton Director of Communications, Richard Kenyon. Yeah, this is the, the second stage of the uh, public consultation. So this is distinct from various other things we've been doing in terms of fan engagement, surveys, things that we've been asking fans about over the last few years, actually. This is the second stage consultation, formal consultation, public consultation, which will see us taking to the streets again um, with our mobile unit going around Liverpool City region, as well as putting our plans online and posting them out to people who live in the immediate vicinity. And it's really about sharing more detail about our plans to build the stadium on Bramley Moor Dock, what the stadium will look like, our ideas on, on what it will actually look like, which is much much awaited from the fans, of course, and also to share some more high-level um, information on our plans for Goodison Park, which, again, is very important to Evertonians, very important to the people of Liverpool 4 that we um, create a good legacy for that community. So this is really the next stage. It's it's a formal stage, so we're going to, to great lengths to make sure that we include everybody that we possibly can. We had great reaction to the first uh, first phase consultation, which was more about the concept for what we were doing. Um, and I say a great reaction, I mean, in terms of the feedback that we got was really positive, but also the numbers that came out to to give their feedback, to show their support was phenomenal, really. 20,000 people taking part in that stage. So we're hopeful at this stage will be equally as positive in terms of the feedback and also positive in terms of the scale of people who come out. You mentioned there, you alluded to the designs, and I think, as you say, they're much anticipated. People can't wait to see things. How much will we see, do you think? Yeah, I completely understand that. I think the the new stadium project for, for Everton is, is, you know, very high up the minds of all fans, of course, because, you know, it, it's such an important thing for the football club. There's great affection to Goodison Park, of course, but I think everyone accepts that, you know, the time has come for us to move on. And uh, we've had great feedback from fans along the way, and they've really helped us shape the shape the principles of what we've we've been working on with the designers so so at this stage we'll be showing the how the stadium will look obviously from the outside uh, from the inside we'll be sharing different views of the of the stadium still at a proposal stage so they're obviously much much further progressed than when Dan the stadium architect talked to fans at uh, St Luke's Church more than a year ago so they're much more progressed than that it will be you know full renders of the outside you know uh, impressions of how the inside could look but still as I say in that proposal stage so still an opportunity for people to say fans and members of the public in the city region still the opportunity for them to to have their say and give us feedback on what they like or don't like about it obviously you know we're really hopeful that we've got got the brief right and uh, the architect has delivered that 
effectively. So, so we're, we're really hopeful that it's positive feedback, but also that we get some good insights as well that can help us make it even better. I guess it'll be music to Dan's ears, won't it? Dan Meese's ears, that it can be, uh, designs can be shown at last because he gets asked, I think, on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, he does. And uh, as do we at the club. I mean, I think people have asked over the last year or so, you know, what, what, what's the hold-up? Why can't we just see it? Obviously, it's a, it's a very, it's a very uh, involved process. There's lots of people that we need to speak to along the way and engage with along the way, and we've we done that extensively with fans, but there's lots of, other, uh, lots of other groups as well through the planning process that we have to talk to and, and make sure that what we're, what we're eventually going to show is, is, is right for everybody. And obviously, you know, primary in our minds is obviously making sure it's the right for the fans, of course. But we've had other other stakeholders that we've had to work with along the way, and what we what we really have to make sure is when we do reveal this that it's it's absolutely right, and that it's what you know uh, what our fans will want. So we've taken great care in in getting to this point, and uh, Dan's Dan Dan's eager to uh, to show the desi- designs, and so are we, and we we know that we know that the fans are, are are desperate to see them, and we just you know obviously we hope that they will. Uh, they will like them and and they will also give us their feedback on, on things that they think uh, could be different, could be better. Uh, the fans are anxious, the fans are, are impatient, I think we all are as Evertonians, um, but it's a huge process this isn't it building a football it's not just a, a, one of these sort of kick grounds that you, you see around the sort of lower leagues, it's a big uh, project to un- undertake. I mean, it, it, will this consultation sort of help and, and um, allow people to understand how big a project it is? Yeah, I, th- I think um, most of the fans understand the the amount of work that's in it involved in it, and it's it's as I said, you know, it's really important that this is this is the this is done right. You know, it's going to be a, a home for Everton Football Club for decades to come, and we want it, we want it to be absolutely spot on. So, you know, if that if that takes a bit of time, then that that's what we'll do. And I think um, I think equally, it's it's really important that you know we've had that fan input into it, and I think. You know, we've we've listened to that. We've helped that that that's helped shape our our brief to the architect, and we're very confident that that will uh, that will be be realised. And I think I don't know whether anxious is is the right word. Really, I think it's it's excitement. I think I think the fans are excited to see um, what what the new stadium could look like, and you know what they'll you know where they where they could be sitting in a few years time so so I, th- I think it's all I think it's energy and it's positive energy I think you know there, there are times when people you know get really really keen excited to see things and I you know com- completely understand that you know Evertonians are a, a passionate um, really passionate group of fans and and, and that's ideal for us because it means that we get good information rich information to help us um, shape our proposals so I think you know th- there's been an eagerness for people to see it but that that time is almost almost upon us um, you're right anxious is the wrong word eagerness is eagerness. the word yeah, I yeah. meant <laughs> um, uh, but you're right um, uh, as far as how in depth the consultation will go what what will they be able to talk about what will what sort of questions will be asked what are the next steps with regards to the consultation yeah it, it, at this stage we'll be asking people for the views on obviously what the the stadium looks like uh, getting their feedback on that and with, within that there'll be there'll be lo- lots of different questions you know not just simply you know do, do they like it which is obviously what we're, we're trying to get at ultimately but there'll be lots of other questions within that we'll be asking them and sharing more information on transport We'll be asking them obviously about the Goodison legacy and 
Uh, we've talked about that so far in terms of the principles of it, but we'll be sharing some more information about what could be going on that site. And I think that moves more into focus um, as time passes, because obviously I think you know what happens with Goodison will will happen after we move into Bramley Moor Dock. But I think people are starting to think more about it now, and actually, you know, as the stadium has become more real and re- revealing the designs will make it even more so. I think people's attention starts to turn to you know how can we leave L4 in the best in the best way in terms of not playing there anymore. Obviously, we'll be operating from there in terms of Everton and the community and the football club will always have a strong positive presence in L4 so this this stage of it gives us that opportunity to to give information on our plans but really importantly on that to build on the feedback that we've already been getting from involvement uh, from our involvement with residents and other and other groups so so we're really excited to not only unveil the stadium and we know that people are excited to see that but also to to start you know, building that conversation and getting more feedback around our plans for Liverpool Four as well. And and with regards to the stadium, you mentioned you know there will be a chance for people to talk about design. And does that include capacity? Does it include what it looks like? I mean, are, are we beyond that stage now? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly includes uh, what it looks like. Um, it and and there'll be a number of things as well about you know how you experience um, how you experience the match day, fan interaction as such. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I think I think on capacity, uh, obviously, we've already an- announced what our. Uh, what our intention is in that area, but you know, again, like in the first stage of the consultation, there's opportunity for people to to contribute to to any uh, any aspect of the stadium discussion that they like. So, if if fans want to raise uh, questions around that or give their ideas, then that this, this is the opportunity to do that as well. Important to get over finally, though, that it's an exciting time for Everton, and and fans should be excited and and should embrace what's coming in July and August yeah absolutely I mean this has been this has been a process going up for a couple of years now since we announced Bramley Moor Dock as our our favoured location and I think the positivity from the fans for that location has been absolutely incredible you know unanimous Um, everybody think everyone can see it's a a great opportunity for Everton Football Club and they're hugely excited by the designs uh, to see the to see the designs in a few weeks time the, the other thing that's been really pleasing from not just Evertonians but from people across the city region is that people understand that this isn't just an exciting opportunity for the football club, that this, you know, that this could be hugely beneficial for Liverpool City region in terms of you know, bringing more money to the area, bringing jobs to the area and it's an area of the city that you know, needs that regeneration, not just the waterfront itself which will be transformed but also you know, up into North Liverpool, where you know there's still work to be done to to improve those communities, and you know, jo- jobs will be a major boost to that area. And so, there's an economic driver for it for the city region in terms of tourism and the brand of Liverpool and everything else. But crucially, there's you know jobs in it for local people as well, which is hugely important. So, massively exciting for Everton Football Club, and I'm sh- I'm sure the fans will be really pleased with what they see, but also you know massively exciting for everybody within the city region. There we are, Richard Kenyon there, and I'm sure, as I am, you'll be all looking forward to, to seeing those designs. I'm sure there's a big summer ahead when it comes to uh, BMD. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the first edition of the Alan Myers Everton podcast. Don't forget to look out for the next episode. Details can be found at the Echo Twitter page at Live Echo EFC, and, of course, Alan Myers Media on Twitter 
Speak to you all soon. And any questions or any views on the podcast, please let me know via Twitter. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.